This morning's scripture can be found on page 59 of the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and then verses 17 through 22. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the Israelites, of human beings and animals, is mine. Moses said to the people, Remember this day on which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, because the Lord brought you out from there by strength of hand. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are going out. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this observance in this month. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a festival to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen in your possession, and no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory. You shall tell your child on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It shall serve for you as a sign on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead, so that the teaching of the Lord may be on your lips. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall keep this ordinance at this proper time from year to year. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although it was nearer. For God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt, prepared for battle. And Moses took with him the bones of Joseph, who had required a solemn oath of the Israelites, saying, God will surely take notice of you, and then you must carry my bones with you from here. They set out from Sukkoth and camped at Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way, and in a pillar of fire by night, to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past Wednesday in our staff meeting, we found ourselves talking quite a bit about this upcoming trip and what it was that we would be packing for it. We're all looking forward to this opportunity that we have to go to the Church of the Resurrection, as Rick said, the largest United Methodist Church in our country. We're very excited about that and all that we'll learn, and we're excited to bring it all back and share with you. I know it's going to be a great experience, but we, at least the women on the staff, are very concerned about what to wear. We don't know if it's 
You know, we know it's going to be hotter there, but as Christine says, they have really huge air conditioning systems down there, so we'll probably be cold. So we're trying to figure out, well, how do you, what do you take? How much of this stuff do you take? We all want it to be carry-on. And we went, and Michelle and I finally just decided we should probably go shopping. <laughs> I'm the packer in our house. I love to pack. I love to lay out all of the things that we're going to bring on the bed and, and get it all together, make sure I've got enough warm and cold clothes and enough socks and PJs. I like to put together the car bags for the kids and give them activities to do along the way and movies to watch and books to read and all that kind of stuff. I, of course, make sure that we have everything we could ever need, but I do it in a compact manner as much as possible. And I even like to pack the car itself. I, I like to make the luggage fit nicely in the back of the car. I think about how I'll make it all fit the night before usually, and I play my own little Tetris game in my head and have it all set. Um, I get both equally frustrated and kind of excited for the challenge when my husband looks at it and says, that is never going to fit. And I just say, just, just, I have a plan. Leave it to me. I got it. I got it covered. And I make it fit. Of course, sometimes you can't see out of the back. But, you know, we, we, we make it there with all of our coolers and pillows and swimsuits and towels and clothes and sweatshirts and games and DVDs and books and everything you could ever want and ever need. Our car trips are usually to one of two places. Uh, one, a shorter trip, three hours, is to go up north to Lake Louise, where our family has a cottage in Boyne Falls, and to, to go up there. Um, our second one, uh, ten, 10 hours to Des Moines, Iowa, a lot longer. Uh, but that's where Mike's family is, and so we always go there. Rick and I were talking the other day about when you go up north and you hit West Branch. I don't know any of you... You, you just kind of have this feeling of, okay, now I'm here, I can relax, I can start to enjoy. Every, you, you, we always stop in West Branch and get something to eat and fill up the gas tank. And it's like kind of once you're there, you're on vacation. Even if you have an hour or two left to go, somehow getting there feels good. We have the same feeling when we get to the I-80 truck stop on the way to Des Moines. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's the world's largest truck stop. That's what they advertise, and it's big and huge. And up until this last trip to Iowa, it's always been our place of excitement because it's like, yes, only two hours to go, and we feel like we're almost there. But until this last time when Ben had Taco Bell and, and then had food poisoning from that. So we're not as excited about the truck stop anymore. But prior to that, it's been our place of, oh, okay, we're here, we can be on vacation, we, we, we're going to make it. Well, as a kid, every February, my family would uh, go to Florida. My granddad lived just side of, outside of Orlando, and we would drive, and my parents would drive straight through and We'd like leave after school and go all night and, and get up and, and get there in the morning. And my parents loved to drive, not just because it saved them money, but they liked driving through the mountains. And my mom especially liked the drive because she felt like the more she drove, the closer she got, the easier it was for her to let go of everything and, and get herself on vacation. But her favorite stop along the way to uh, Florida was in Tennessee. There's an exit there called Stinking Creek. And my mom would always, I don't know that we ever stopped there, but she would always, at least figuratively, drop all of her stuff there. All of the things that she hadn't intended to pack, you know, the 
stress and the things that she was leaving undone and the disgruntled parishioner and the senior pastor and you know, all that kind of... I would, never, I would never dump my senior pastor in Stinking Creek. But all of those things that, you know, just that she didn't want to bring, but she brought. She would leave there and said, you know, if she needed to, she could pick it up on her way back. When the Israelites fled Egypt... They had no time to pack. There wasn't even enough time to, for their bread, their dough to rise. They just left. That didn't, doesn't mean that they didn't have baggage. They brought with them years of anger and frustration, grief and pain, oppression and brutality, and there was no stinking creek on the way there to just drop it off. It was with them the whole way, so much so that it prevented them from fully trusting God and Moses. It kept them grumbling, even led them to want to return to Egypt, to want to return to slavery. Their baggage was heavy, and they couldn't just leave it behind or let it go. And it made for a very difficult journey. The Israelites had been freed from slavery by God, and Moses told them to remember, to remember that God had delivered them, told them to make a ritual out of remembering so that the story would always give them hope as they remembered that God was with them. But I think they struggled to remember. Their baggage prevented them from trusting in God's deliverance, from hoping in their future, from relinquishing their doubts. It makes sense, though. Here was a people who had lived years and years of oppression. They had very few people they could trust, and certainly not those in power, and they were on a journey to the promised land, a land that must have felt to them like the land of Oz would feel to us. They were scared, scared that their oppressors would come after them, that they would starve to death in the desert, that this Moses guy, this felon, was crazy. Their mistrust and their fear haunted them and led them to do things like grumble and complain, wish that they were back in Egypt at the hand of the oppressor, and create a golden calf to worship instead of the God who had delivered them. Their fear and mistrust made them unable to feel the love of a guiding God who presented himself to them in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Their past got in the way of their future. Are we any different? We too carry baggage that prevents us from living into the future that God has in store for us. We take it with us on our journeys, let it weigh us down as we struggle to carry it all. Like the Israelites, we bring baggage that comes from other people. It starts when we're kids and we learn that despite our best efforts, the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a lie. Words hurt more than bones breaking. I bet that each of us can think of someone in, in our past who bullied us or said things to us like, you're no good, or called you four eyes, or told you you were ugly, or that you smelled or had cooties, or that you're fat or poor or a dork or a loser. And if it never happened to you, then perhaps you said such a thing to someone else. Something you've always felt guilty about. We carry around the words of our past, words said to us, words we've said. We carry the mistrust and fear that we learn from those words, the guilt and shame. 
For some, it's a small bag. For others, it dominates the trunk of our cars when we're heading out. Impossible to let go of at Stinking Creek. And as we've gone on in our journeys, we added to our baggage as we learned to give up our power, to give it over to another person, to allow the words or actions of another person to influence us, to hurt us, to consume our energy, our thoughts. Some of us have picked up other people's baggage, making it our own, so that we now carry twice the baggage because we've got theirs as well, their failed marriage, their loss of a job, their insecurities and fears, and they have become our focus, inhibiting our own progression and our future's journey. Some of us have allowed other people's successes to become our baggage, ever been passed over for a promotion and wonder why that guy got it instead of you? Ever wonder how she could have received the coveted award that you surely deserved? You carry that baggage with you, the baggage of insecurity, of lack of control, of anger. You know what my baggage is? My brother's brilliant. I love him very much, and I am grateful for the relationship that we have, but somehow I've never felt smart enough. Something I still feel when I'm with him. He was a National Merit Scholar. He was in all the talented and gifted programs. He took college-level classes in high school, never had to study or work hard. It all came naturally to him. I had to work. And I know that I have gifts. I've always known that, but I've always also carried around with me the fact that I will never be as smart as my brother. And that has gotten in my way. It's weighed me down, and it still affects my relationship to this day through only my own fault. It's not his problem. It's not anything he ever did. It's what I did. It's what I carried. All this baggage we carry gets in the way. It means we bring mistrust to our relationships. It gives us inferiority complexes, leaves us with regrets, and inhibits our ability to see that God is right there with us, guiding us and offering to us all that we need to feel secure and loved and whole. Our baggage gets in the way of our relationship with God. It weighs us down on our journey and prevents us from living fully into the future to which God is seeking to guide us. It's hard to let go of baggage, sure. But we have to. Otherwise, we can never be free, free to hope and trust and live. We also have to let go because our baggage and the baggage that we carry on others' behalf can also inhibit their journey. Letting go is the first step towards healing, the first step towards hope, the first step towards trust. When we make the choice to let go, we're open to God's guidance, his leading us through the wilderness, delivering us from all that enslaves us. In his memoir, Telling Secrets, Frederick Beekner tells of how he had to let go of his daughter's anorexia, He writes, the love that I had for my daughter was lost in the anxiety I had for my daughter. The only way I knew to be a father was to take care of her as my father had been unable to take care of me, to move heaven and earth if necessary to make her well, and of course I couldn't do that. I didn't have either the wisdom or the power to make her well. None of us has the power to change other human beings like that, and it would be a terrible power if we did. 
The psychiatrist we consulted told me I couldn't cure her. The best thing I could do for her was to stop trying to do anything. I think in my heart I knew they were right, but it didn't stop the madness of my desperate meddling. It didn't stop the madness of my trying. Everything I could think to do or say only stiffened her resolve to be free from, among other things, me. Her not eating was a symbolic way of striking out for that freedom. The only way she would ever be well again was if and when she freely chose to be. The best I could do as her father was to stand back and give her that freedom. Beekner couldn't move forward and his daughter couldn't move forward until he let go to trust. Trust the doctors, trust the process of healing, trust God to be in the deliverance. And we too must let go to be delivered. So how do we let go and get rid of this baggage? I think we start like the Israelites. We remember that God is faithful. We remember that God is with us. We look back on our life with all that it brings and we see the ways that God has been there giving us people who loved us, guiding us to a church that would nurture us, leading us in the directions that were life-giving. We remember how God delivers us even as God delivered the Israelites. We remember that at our very soul, we belong to God, a God who will never leave us. The world may reject us, but God will never reject us. God will always love us. And the remembering leads us to choosing. We choose to allow God to guide us, And in so doing, we let go of our baggage. Sometimes we need help in doing that. Sometimes it takes a counselor or a therapist to help us to do that, to help us to discover why we can't let go, to work through the baggage and heal from the wounds. Sometimes it takes a friend, someone who knows us well, who can challenge us and love us through it. Sometimes it takes time and prayer and study and discernment. But it always starts with acknowledging the baggage and asking for help and letting it go. And no matter what, we have to let it go in order to be made whole, in order to move forward, in order to put our complete faith and trust in a God who will continue to deliver us whether or not we recognize it, who will continue to love us whether or not we love him back, who will continue to reach out to us. When we reach back, We'll find the strength to let go. We'll find the power to overcome the voices in our head that point out our regrets and our insecurities and our fears and our doubts. When we reach back, we'll find our memories of a God who never leaves us, who promises to be with us in a cloud by day and fire by night, who provides manna from heaven in the desert and a tablet of commandments for civility, who's with us when the names are hurled at us as children and when we're passed over as adults, who knows our baggage even when we refuse to recognize all that we carry, will help us to find the beauty and love that belongs to all of the children of God, an identity that is given to us from the very beginning of our lives, And in so doing, we will find ourselves lighter and freer than ever before as we follow the path that God has set for us and journey together in hope and possibility. Amen.